Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Abraham humbled and lowered himself as a brother to his nephew Lot to make peace. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org or on iTunes. We want to thank you for your listenership and support of the Friendship with God radio program. Now, as we're coming to the close of the year end, we'd like to encourage you to make a contribution to this radio program today. 100% of it will go to keeping this Bible teaching program on the air in your city and on this station. It will also have a matching donation of 100% towards Israel Restoration Ministries and the Jewish Evangelism Outreach that reaches over 1.5 million lost Jewish people a year, as well as many Gentiles with the gospel. We'd like to encourage you to give, and your donation is 100% tax deductible, and 100% of your donation goes directly into Jewish evangelism and supporting this radio program. Go to friendshipwithgod.org to donate online. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can call us now or after the program at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching from the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. This separation of knowing what to do and then following through to do it was pointed out to us by the Lord Jesus in John thirteen seventeen when he said, If ye know these things... Happy are you if you do them. He didn't say, if you know these things, you're very happy. (laughs) He said, if you know them and do them, you're happy. So not only did Abraham know what to do in the home to restore peace, but he did it. And so often we know what we should do, but we don't do it. And that's why the Lord Jesus said that the happiness does not come from the knowing. The happiness comes from the follow through, from the doing it. You know, that's why of all the traffic signs that we have out there, of all the ones that I very rarely obey, no, I shouldn't say that, but anyway, (laughs) there's one that has a great spiritual value to us and reminds us of this situation. It's the sign, yield, yield, yield. You know, you're in your car and you're going to get there. (laughs) You're not going to let that anybody else get there. And the sign says, don't do that. The sign says, yield, yield. And that's exactly what Abraham did. He yielded. He yielded to Lot. He let Lot go first. He yielded to his younger Lot. And when God saw that Abraham yielded to Lot, God says, bravo, Abraham, bravo. Great job. Because God was so pleased with what Abraham did that he could have said to Abraham, Abraham, don't worry about the matter of the land with Lot. I'll work it out later. And and did he? You just did the right thing. Abraham, because you sacrificed for the sake of peace. That honors me. And God loves to see this because this is Psalm 133 in action, where it says, behold, maybe that's the most important word in that whole verse in Psalm 133.1. Behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold, we can look at that word behold and we can, we can look at that word As if God from heaven is looking down and he says to the angels, hey, do you guys see this? Behold that. Look at that. Look at that down there in that home, in that church, in that office. Look how good and how pleasant it is. Do you see it? It's brethren dwelling together in unity. That's something. So behold that. Or we can look at that verse as if we're talking to God and we're saying to God, Lord, look here, Lord. Look here. Behold. Because this man, he said something very contentious to me. Or he said something behind my back. Or do you know what she took that was not hers? Or he did something wrong and so forth. But we just dropped it. We just let it go. We just dropped it. We just said, why? Because, Lord, we want to make a beautiful scene for you to look. Behold, Lord, 
how good it is for brethren who normally don't live together in peace. But now they are. It's good and it's pleasant. We're dwelling together in unity. Do you see that, Lord? So that's why Abraham humbled himself. And that's why he put himself on the same level, uh, the elder, the same level as Lot when he said, we be brethren. And then in verse 14 of chapter 13, it's interesting how it reads. It says, the Lord said unto Abraham after Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look. And we just think about those words, after Lot was separated from him. You know, if we just freeze that scene, freeze that picture of Lot having just left Abraham, pushed him away, he's off to go get, he's got land, he's got, he got a lot of stuff to do, Lot, he's, he's got a best land, leave the worst for Abraham, and we can feel with Abraham, this has been a pretty hard sequence of events in Mr. Abraham's life. This has not been easy. He's been stressed. He's been stressed because it was a stress when Pharaoh rightly rebuked him and said, you were wrong. It was a stress for him to be ashamed. It wasn't a private rebuke. He was ashamed in front of all of his people, maybe a thousand people in his group, I don't know. It was a stress for him when Lot challenged him and then separates. And Abraham has this, must have this feeling of failure. You know, he failed himself to be a man of God. He failed Sarah to be her protector. He failed Lot to be an example of what a man of God should be in Egypt. And worst of all, Abraham has failed God to honor him. And so now, with Lot leaving Abraham, he feels this deep, empty feeling of the loss and the shame and also and he feels he has lost lot as he wonders is he ever going to have an influence on him again he's lost his testimony by lying and endangering sarah he's lost the land that god gave him by letting lot take it from him and lot takes the land and he feels that he's lost god's promise maybe to give him the land and as abraham looks at sarah things aren't exactly the same because he realizes that He is such a loser that he just nearly lost Sarah, his wife. And if he had lost her, he feels like he would have lost that promise of God, too, of increasing the seed. So he feels all this. He feels like a loser and a loser that's alone. He feels alone, so alone, so isolated. Who's he going to talk to? And he must have really felt at this time pretty alone. Now, with that scene of Abraham feeling all alone, You add in now the next part of the verse in Genesis 13, 14. And the Lord said unto Abram after that lot was separated from him. So you freeze that scene. You add that part to it. Abraham's feeling all alone and God speaks to him in his aloneness or through his aloneness or penetrating his aloneness. Can you see that scene? I mean, this is Abraham. He's all alone and his aloneness, God speaks to him. That's a very, very important scene. That's a scene that's a classic scene that God wants us to have of Abraham. If you want to turn to it, but you remember it, Isaiah 51, 2, where God says, look unto Abraham, look at Abraham, your father, and unto Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. That's the picture God wants us to have in our minds of Abraham. I called him alone. 
You know, God is asking the Jewish people, look at Abraham, and God says to the Jewish people, look out to Abraham, your father, and then you say, okay, what are we supposed to see, God? So it's like God picks up the photo album of the, you know, the Abraham's life, and he's flipping through the pages, you know, <laughs> and he's trying to find the picture that he's going to blow up, and he's going to put over the fireplace, right? <laughs> over the mantle, and he said, this is your father, Abraham. You know how that goes? Anyway, so he's going through each photo in Abraham's um, photo album, and we're all wondering which is the one that he's going to pull out and put up over. And he pulls this one, and he says, now this is your father Abraham. So, you know, think about the process, you know. Is God going to pull out the photo of Abraham conquering, as we're going to see, five kings in chapter 14? And everybody says, that'd be a good picture to put up of him there. And with that photo, or how about the one where he in bravery, he's going to sacrifice Isaac? We can have that picture of Abraham. So which picture is God going to choose of Abraham to put over the fireplace so that the Jewish people come by and they say, look at that, that's your father Abraham. There he is right there. And it's this picture. It's a picture that's like this with a title under the picture that says, I called Abraham alone. That's the picture. He says, look unto Abraham your father. So God says to the Jewish people, they need to see Abraham all alone. And when he was alone, then they need to see, I called him. So why does God want to put that picture over the fireplace? You all understand that it doesn't say in the Bible that he wanted to put it over the fireplace, right? (laughs) That's just, it doesn't matter. Anyway, so God called Abraham when he was all alone, when he felt all alone. And any Jewish person who comes to God, who comes to Jehovah Jesus, who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will, take it from me, feel all alone. All alone. The Bible calls that person an outcast of Israel because he's all alone. He's separated from his Jewish people. He is alone. And just like Abraham, God will call that person alone and gather him up as an outcast of Israel. And this is what he said in Psalms 147.2, the Lord doth build up Jerusalem. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. And in Isaiah 56.8, the Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel. Say it, yet will I gather others to him besides those that are gathered to him. That's a great verse. Take time to look at it later. Isaiah 56, 8, because it's a verse that describes the church made up of believing Jews and Gentiles. In that verse, the Jewish believers in the church are called the outcast of Israel. God says he'll gather them to Jehovah Jesus, and they'll make part of his church. And then the other part in that verse says, yet will I gather others to him besides that are gathered unto him. See, he gathers others. They're not called the outcasts of Israel because they're not the outcasts of Israel. They're the Gentile believers that he's gathered together to join the Jewish believers all gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ. So the outcasts of Israel is a description of Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The remnant is the outcast of Israel. And for years, you know, I I was called by the anti-missionary group, the Jews for Jesus, in in, uh, an office in Baltimore and one in Los Angeles. I was referred to as the Jewish businessman that sends students into Jewish communities every summer to try to convert Jews to his Christianity. That's what they call me, you know. Then someone wrote in a blog to the Jews for Judaism in Baltimore and said, you shouldn't call him the Jewish businessman. You should call him the former Jewish businessman. It was very painful for them because, you know, Jewish businessman, they like that term, you know, the businessman part. So I've been defrocked. (laughs) It's so painful. And I'm no longer Jewish. Okay, so why? Because I'm an outcast of Israel. But that's okay. Because I'd rather be an outcast of Israel and be gathered by Jehovah Jesus than to be not an outcast and not gathered. 
So an outcast of Israel is all alone. Like Abraham was all alone. God called Abraham alone. God calls the outcast of Israel alone. And so with all his feelings of being a failure and what he lost and being alone, it's sad. It's sad in that state. And God comes to Abraham with these great words of comfort and encouragement. And he says, lift up in chapter 13, verse 10. 13, 10 is the one we have to parallel with the one in 13, 14. 13, 14, it says, God said, lift up now thine eyes. And that parallels to uh, verse 10 where it says, Lot lifted up his eyes. There's a parallel there. Lot lifts up his eyes, Abraham lifts up his eyes. So the similarity of the phrase is the parallel. So what did Lot see? What interested Lot? And what did Lot see that did not interest Lot? And what did Abraham see that interested Abraham? And what did Abraham see that did not interest Abraham? So in verse 10, Lot lifts up his eyes, and he sees what can be immediately his right now. That's interesting to Lot. And that makes Lot happy. Things that he can have now. Lush fields. And what Lot saw that did not interest him was what he could not have right now. That wasn't interesting. But in verse 14, Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees God making these promises to him. And for what he can have sometime later. And what interests Abraham is God who's making these promises. And so God makes Abraham happy. And what Abraham saw that did not interest him is what he could have right now that God was not giving him. And Abraham wanted nothing to do with anything that God was not giving him. He wanted nothing to do with it. Reminds me of my daughter-in-law, Jeanette, who watches her weight a little bit more than I do. But uh, anyway, so there was a chocolate cake in the refrigerator. And uh, it says, Jeanette, there's a chocolate cake in the refrigerator. And she said, I want nothing to do with it. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know. So this is the difference between Abraham and Lot. Lot was encouraged with things. Abraham was encouraged with God. And Lot saw what attracted him, what he could get now. And Lot was not interested in these vague promises from God in the future. And Abraham saw what interested him, friendship with God. That was interesting to Abraham. And he saw what was not interesting, which was getting what God was not wanting to give him. So that's a challenge for us. We ask the question to ourselves, what interests us? Things that Lot found interesting and God that Lot found not interesting? Or God that Abraham found interesting and things that Abraham didn't find interesting? So as Abraham watched the land be taken away from him by Lot, he realized that he had made a choice. He had made a choice between the land now or waiting for God to give him the land later. And that choice was really between the land and God for that moment. And by choosing God, he let the land go. But he really kept the better part. Because the reason he got the better part is seen in the last verse of chapter 13. It says, where Abraham removed his tent. Now that parallels with verse 12 of chapter 13. Because it says there, Abraham removed his tent, similar phrase, came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, plain of Mamre, which is Hebrew, and he built there an altar unto the Lord. And then you parallel that, removing of the tent in verse 12, where it says, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. So Abram got the better part. Why? Because Lot ends up in Sodom, and Abram ends up in an oak grove in Mamre, which is in Hebron. The word Hebron comes from the word Chabar, which means to have fellowship or communion. And so he ends up with a fellowship or a friendship or a communion with God. 
Tom, you've spoken on humility and pride in the past as it relates to accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as the Creator. Is this whole issue of pride and humility one of choice, or is it all about the hand you're dealt in life? What is there in the history of the Jewish people that illustrates how the issue of pride and humility impacts accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as Creator? One of the greatest histories in the Jewish people was the history of their deliverance from the land of Egypt. It was so long. It was 400 years of being in bondage. You know, one time I sat next to a, uh, an Egyptian man on a plane, and, and I said to him, I said, oh, you're from Egypt. And I didn't tell him I was Jewish. I just said, you know, my people spent a long time in your country as guests, as a matter of fact. He goes, oh, really? I said, yes, it, re- it went very well at first. Said we uh, we had a very nice place to live. It was a land of Goshen. Thank you very much, and we were treated just royally by uh, the Pharaoh at that time. It was really good. As a matter of fact, one of our people had a very high position in the government. And I said, but you know, I don't know if we wore out our welcome, but things uh, deteriorated a little bit, and. Uh, after a while, well, um, you know, we there was uh, we we built things for you. We built pyramids. Uh, I'm not sure we were really uh, properly compensated for how much we worked and what we did there. But in the end, it all worked out. We we actually got got sort of back pay when we left. And uh, he didn't know who what I was I was talking about. And I said, in fact. Um, uh, we left, and uh, we were a little discontent, and we left, and. Um, there was actually a whole book written about our leaving, and it was called The Leaving. And uh, it was called uh, Exodus, and, and he still didn't get it. And I said, we had a very famous leader that brought us out, and that was Moses. And then he understood who I was talking about. So anyway, the, the, the whole history of the Jewish people in Egypt is, uh, is very, very significant. And one of the things that happened is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 10, verse 3. When Moses and Aaron came in to Moses, I mean to Pharaoh, they came to Pharaoh and they, they, they represented God. So here were these two Jewish men, Moses and Aaron. They're standing before the great ruler of the most powerful nation on the earth, Egypt, Pharaoh, a Gentile, and they're speaking for God. And they say to him, and this is the way the verse reads, and Moses and Aaron come in unto Pharaoh and said unto him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews. Now, what is Pharaoh hearing? He's hearing that these are the spokesmen for the Lord God of the Hebrews. What was the real situation? This is not only the Lord God of the Hebrews, this is his Lord God and all of his idols that he's been worshiping, the sun God and and the animals and so forth, those are no gods, those are false gods, those are idols, those are no gods. So he's really hearing from his maker. In other words, Moses and Aaron are representing his maker, the Lord God of the Hebrews is his maker. Who is that Lord God of the Jewish people? That's the Lord Jesus Christ also. Only he hasn't stepped out into flesh at this point. So the Lord God of the universe, the Adon Alom, 
And he has a question. And the question is, how long wilt thou refuse to humble thyself before me? In other words, God is saying, Pharaoh, he sent Moses and he sent Aaron. He says, Pharaoh, I got my watch out and I'm timing you, Pharaoh. And I'm wanting to know exactly how long do I have to wait for you to stop this pride? How long, Pharaoh, are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? It's a very, very scary thing. It's a very, very scary question. I mean, here is, here is the maker of all. God, the Adonalam, the Lord God of the Hebrews. Here's the judge of all the earth. And he's saying, you're wearing out my patience, Pharaoh. And I'm sitting here timing, and I'm wondering exactly how long are you going to personally refuse to humble yourself before me? He says, let my people go that they may serve me. Have you ever asked yourself the question, I hope God's not doing that with me? Is God sitting there with me, and he's got a timer? And he's sitting there, and he's asking, how long are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? You see what he's saying there? He's saying, humbling yourself or being humble is a choice. It's a choice. You accept to humble yourself, or you refuse to humble yourself. In the case of of Pharaoh, God was saying to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you have made the wrong choice. You have chosen to refuse to humble yourself before me. And God's saying, God's saying through, through indirectly through Pharaoh, through, through uh, Moses and Aaron, he's saying, Pharaoh, can I give you some counsel here? Stop this. Stop refusing to humble yourself. All that you've seen, plagues, great miracles on the parts of my servant, you know what those are? Those are the reasons why you should humble yourself. You know what you're doing, Pharaoh? You're hardening your heart and you're saying, I don't care. I'm going to refuse to humble myself. And God's saying, Pharaoh, start to care. Take it into consideration. And humble yourself. You know what God's saying to each one of us? When you look at the marvels of creation, you look at a sunrise, you look at the beauty of it all, the trees, your body, the way it all works, you know what all that is? Information that you should humble yourself before the great creator. Humble yourself. No longer stop the refusing to humble yourself and humble yourself before the great truth, the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. He's the judge. Humble yourself under that truth. Don't refuse any longer to humble yourself. In the case of Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron were representing God and they were saying, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? And how long are you gonna refuse to let my people go that they may serve me? Well, you know what? Unfortunately, in the case of Pharaoh, he never did choose to humble himself. So a great disaster happened, and he was destroyed in the Red Sea. He and his whole army was destroyed in the Red Sea. May it never be so 
for any of us. May in our lifetimes we take the decision, each one of us, to use the choice that God has given to us and humble ourselves before the glory, the majesty, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ as creator and savior. That's what God wants us to do. Choose to humble yourself. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. And Tom Cantor has written a powerful new book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this book will help to show scriptures comparatively from the Old Testament prophecy and show that with the New Testament fulfillment. This amazing study reveals how Jesus of Nazareth was not just a good historic figure, but the fulfillment of God's foretold plan to bring salvation to the Jews and Gentiles alike. A must-have for any Christian or a great gift to give any Jewish person who may be searching for the truth and evidence of the scriptures and who the Messiah really is. Now, this is a great witnessing tool for atheists or non-believers because approximately 2,500 prophecies appear in the pages of the Bible written by different men at different times and preserved by God in Scripture for us today, shows that the odds for these prophecies having been fulfilled by happen chance or chance without error is a statistical improbability. So the Bible is reliable, and even an atheist can trust that these prophecies are true. If you'd like a copy of this great book with 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, call us today at one 800 247 3051. We can make this available to you for a donation of $20 or more today. 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051 for a donation of $20 or more. 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us again tomorrow at the same time.